Hello and welcome back to Checkpoint Radio. My name is James. This is episode 13. I'm with my mates Ben and Connor as always, but no Charlie this week, unfortunately, as he's off on his holidays. But as you can see, we've got a guest. We're pleased to welcome Ben's brother Kieran to the show. And we're going to be chatting about Baldur's Gate 3 and the controversy surrounding that uh, AAA game development generally. But before we get into that, Kieran, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. I'm a dedicated listener to the podcast, so it's a <laughs> pleasure to be here. Good to know. Good to know. Thank you very much for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, Charlie, if you're listening, I hope you're having a great holiday, by the way. Uh, mm, ben yeah. and Connor, how are you guys? Do you want to go first, Connor? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm okay, dude. Uh, long week at work, which is finally over. Um, unfortunately, the Lionesses lost us earlier, but still proud of them getting that far. Two two finals in a row now. <laughs> better than and the men's team. Much better mm. than the men's team. And uh, yeah, I've just been playing Baldur's Gate 3 when I get like 20 minutes or any time I can get on that game. Very nice. Like. So yeah. Ben? Uh, yeah, absolutely fine. Thanks. I had a nice week off and I've made the most of it by going through more games of my completion objective slash goal. I've completed all the playable battlefields on PC and I'm right. making my way through all of the Medal of Honours now. And that's a bit <laughs> of a slog. But I'm yeah, on Airborne. You, which one was you playing? Was it yesterday you were playing one? It looked... Yeah really old whatever you're playing yeah it must so be one playing, of the original middle corners yeah allied assault which i think yeah. was like 2002 and mm. it was very dated it was four mm. by three aspect ratio um yeah a bit of a slog but it i can imagine if you were playing that game back in the day in 2002 it yeah. would have been amazing so, yeah, yeah no doubt middle of honor mm. was class back in the day and then yeah. they just it, they ruined it it just disappeared now mm. i haven't made a game in like a decade yeah, yeah, they. I think they Apart really tried. Yeah, they really tried hard to like c- cash in with the the Call of Duty side of things and lost mm. our identity a little bit. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he probably just started to focus on Battlefield more than Medal of Honor. And they release it twelve yeah. months too early. Anyway, how are you, James? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm I'm good, thanks. I'm just uh, counting down the days to Starfield. I can't wait. Woo-hoo. I can't wait. Um, got my time booked off work. I'm ready, you know, the uh, early access uh, review codes went out to all the internet people and IGN and GameSpot and the like. So, yeah, good to hear that the game's gone gold and it's ready to to play. It's finished active development. So very excited for that. Can't wait. Mm. But yeah, not really been up to much else. I've actually had some quite good weather this week. So I've been spending time down the beach because I live literally right by the sea, swimming and stuff. But yeah, nothing really game-wise, you know, just waiting for Starfield. Yeah, mate. But yeah, all good. Well, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, I just wanted to say, wherever you listen to us, we would really appreciate if you rated the show, dropped us a like, subscribed, followed, and all that good stuff. It really means the world to us, probably more than you realise. We appreciate every like and comment, every new subscriber and listener. It gives us motivation, gives us energy to keep going and continue this podcast and see where we end up with it. Um, If you click the link in the description of the episode, you can see all our other stuff, including our YouTube, our social pages, and our Discord, where you can hang out with the community and keep the conversation going. If you really want to reach us directly, then you can send us an email, uh, hello at checkpointradio.co.uk is the address, or you can just hit us up on Discord and socials. Like I said, we love hearing from you. We want to include as many comments and questions in the show as we can. Anyway, that's enough housekeeping for now. Let's talk about Baldur's Gate. 
So I know we're probably a little bit late to this, but we did want to talk about the Baldur's Gate controversy or pushback or whatever you want to call it, because we think there's probably a larger conversation to be had around video game development and particularly AAA video game development in recent years. We've been fed broken, buggy games with overpriced microtransactions, games with content locked behind paywalls or saved for future releases. And to be honest, it's kind of bullshit. You know, I think a lot of us are sick of it. But that's why Baldur's Gate 3 is kicking up such a storm at the moment. It's a content-complete experience with high production values, no microtransactions or DLC. It's relatively bug-and-crash-free. The developers are open and communicative with fans. Basically, it's a unicorn in the AAA game development space. And uh, other developers have acted kind of weirdly about it. But before we go into that, how did Larian Studios do it? What makes this game so good? What did they do? Well, I'd like to kick it off. I composed a short little list of a few of the main points that I think allowed them to succeed excellently with this game. First of all, six years of development time, a lengthy amount of time for a game to be developed, sort of more than most games get recently. Three of those years benefited from public playtest or the early access. And obviously players could feed through bugs and feedback and the like. So the developers, like you said, James, they're very communicative with their fans and the yeah. people playing the game. So I'm sure there was a lot of conversations between really devoted early access players and the developers. Obviously it's Dungeons and Dragons and they've really... Um, like focus the whole game around Dungeons and Dragons and making that experience literally feel at some times like you are playing Dungeons and Dragons and that elevates even higher when you're playing it with friends. So it's just a mm. great place to start. They had little to no interference from their IP holder, apparently. That's something I read. So not much in regards of like red tape and like deadlines and need to hit this. Yeah, but you know must I mean? include just, this, must include that. Yeah just yeah. the freedom to do it their way. They mm. were completely self-funded and obviously crowdfunded from previous titles. Um, so publishers can't really, again, have much of a say. And they have also extensive familiar- familiarity with this genre. They've made Divinity Original Sin, Divinity Original Sin 2, very, very similar games. And they're all their team have well most of their team have worked on all of those projects or both of those projects so this is for them their bread and butter they have made games like this in the past game both of those games have been exceptionally well reviewed and loved by fans and um this isn't like they're oh let's just randomly make a shooter now this is something that they've they've made for decades so yeah. it's it's a real like potion if you like of um, excellence and it's a real yeah it's a real sort of like specialized studio they've got mm. the tech they've got the the knowledge the personnel the experience and yet with that mass player feedback they've almost got that market validation like ahead of their of their launch but um <coughs> yeah i just wanted to swing over to you quickly kieran because ben tells us that you are a big Baldur's gate fan so uh, like without sort of going into too much detail or an overly amount of detail what, what do you think of Baldur's gate 3 what do you attribute their the, the launch success of this game to I think they had a lot of material to work from and they did a really good job of capturing all of the material they had access to in terms of, I mean, Baldur's Gate as a game has existed mm. for 20 years longer. It's a very, very old. Mm. I think the first game came out in 1998 or something like that. So they've had lots of iteration of the same kind of game 
they could look back on. They have a lot of experience making this kind of game in the Divinity series was really well done. Yeah. And also a super um, positive reaction in early access. And from what I can tell, the developers and the community worked really closely hand in hand to make sure the game was progressing in early access. Uh, even though they didn't have access to the full game, they like really tuned in on the mechanics of the gameplay and the bugs. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, day one, like 1.0, when it was released, like the game was in a pretty much complete state. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the teething issues that normally occur with like these big titles, it's like, you know, 100 gigabyte download, massive game, you dive in day one, sometimes there's teething issues. And that's to be expected in the modern era of gaming. But for like, they really nailed the early access experience and then day one experience has been super positive as a result of that. Yeah. And they've yeah. still sent out like a load of hot fixes as well. They're still patching mm. things, but like you say, Kieran, the amount of times you download a game day one, there's a 30 gigabyte patch because the game's not fixed. And then even then you see the likes of Battlefield, 18 months it takes for it to actually find where it should have been when it released. Yeah. And then mm. I think a lot of these studios these devs are coming out. Some of these devs are like indie developers and I don't hold like a three to five man studio or even like a 30, 40 man studio to that level. But I see Blizzard with 4,000 employees and companies like that size. And it's like, well, yeah. Overwatch should be to that level. Obviously they're completely different games, but you see Blizzard just back out of Overwatch 2 story lab. Now we, we can't do that. So you've got 4,000 mm. people working over there. You can't set like two hundred of them aside to create a story. Yeah, it's a little. Sorry, sorry, James. Well, I was just going to say it's a good point, Connor, because I know that Larry is it's not a small studio, but it's not a massive studio. They've still got over four hundred team members. They've still got, Mm. I think, six or seven different locations over the world. So they're not a small studio. But you look at the the kind of like the numbers and the statistics that they hit during their launch: eight hundred thousand concurrent players on Steam, the highest rated game on Metacritic for twenty twenty three. It accounted for like nearly thirty percent of the total playtime on Steam in its opening weekend, beating Mm. out Steam giants and Steam games Mm. that dominate Steam like CS:GO. Like the proof is is there. Like the game has just done exceptionally well in its launch. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned, um, well, actually, before we go into that, Ben, do you just want to wrap up what you were going to say? Or Well, I was going to actually, I thought of a new point, which I think is more relevant now. To okay. add another point, which you just made, their second weekend tracked higher numbers of players than their first weekend, which is a very yeah. sort of backwards trend because usually the first weekend is the highest because obviously <clears throat> everyone's jumping on it. And then the <clears throat> numbers start to slowly dwindle because people have played it and maybe it's not their cup of tea and they're moving on and so on many reasons but the fact that their second weekend had more players than their first weekend Mm -hmm. means that word of mouth is getting around like people are recommending it to friends and people are seeing the reviews and actually then venturing like yourself james you weren't too fussed about the game in the first place yeah and maybe it was the likes of connor and i who was really kind of singing about it or Mm -hmm. just the fanfare that we're seeing online about the game how can you not be intrigued by a game like that Mm. i even had a friend of mine who plays call of duty pretty much 24 7 message me Mm. about my opinion of Baldur's gate like a game that just doesn't fit him but he's intrigued so yeah yeah yeah. that fascinates me because like uh crpgs and tabletop sort of rpgs that come to pc there's a very hardcore market for that sort of game 
but like mm. eight, not eight hundred thousand at the same time. Like, nah. there's people that don't yeah. play these games that have jumped in. Well, I think yeah. I think like D and D just generally in pop culture, it feels like over the last couple of years is. is grown in popularity mm. i mean we see mm. obviously <clears throat> we had the uh the chris pine movie the dungeons and dragons mm. movie that come out and that that did reasonably well at the cinema mm. uh stranger things sort of yeah, brought D back into the mainstream because of all the kids playing playing yeah. D together in, in episode one so yeah i feel like i just feel like at this point in time for larry like so much just went their way really well yeah and yeah. it brings me to this point about developers um kind of talking back or pushing back um, against the game and kind of saying that Baldur's Gate 3 should not be the game that we now hold every other game to it should not be the new standard and I've got a quote here from one of the developers who said this and there's quite a lot to unpack and to be fair they give some decent reasoning as to why mm. and some of it we've touched on but we'll go into it so this person on, on Twitter it's not worth naming them because like I'm sure they're getting enough shit for it already yeah. But they said, um, like a lot of people, I am deeply excited about what the folks at Larian accomplished with Baldur's Gate 3, but I want to gently and preemptively push back against players taking excitement of Baldur's Gate 3 being so good and using it to apply criticism or a raised standards to RPGs going forward. I mean, straight away, a game developer telling gamers to lower their standards is just an outright bad take you probably could have worded that a bit differently mm. um, no matter how you frame it it doesn't sound good but i guess the question is should we expect this standard from games going forward um or is Baldur's gate just a unicorn um a... i think it's a unicorn uh to a certain extent larian may have gone out of business a few years ago like they come close to consolidation and but me and Ben spoke about this the other day. Like this is a passion project for them, and it's yeah. words you talk about like Dungeons Dragons, and you get people like Critical Role are like massive on YouTube, and it seems everything seems to have lined up perfectly. But they're pushing standards, and when Rockstar do it, it's fine. Red Dead Two comes out, wins all the awards. People mm. are saying it's the greatest narrative, or one of the greatest narratives ever told within yeah. the medium. The Last of Us does it, gets yeah. a TV show, and it's like, yeah, that's fine. And then a small studio doesn't go, oh, we can't do that. It's, yeah. It's it does tough. Yeah. It I'm, doesn't I'm make in, sense. Yeah, I'm in two minds because originally when I first read that quote that you read out, James, I was like, no way. Like, of course, we should now be expecting games to this standard. There's no excuse for game uh, developers to not put 100% effort into their games and produce absolute masterpieces when they have thousands of employees that they can devote to developing these games. And yeah, yeah I was very much of the opinion of like, no, we should expect the best. We've had too many games over too many years now where they've released and they're in a sorry state and it takes months for them to be fixed and so on and so on. But then I'm also considering everything that we said at the beginning of this podcast, when you do think about what Alarian had to them and the obviously the how well set up they were and are to have developed a game like Baldur's Gate 3, it does make me think about all of the factors about mm. why and how Baldur's Gate 3 has been such a success. For instance, like they have made this uh, type of game numerous times. They have mm -hmm. extensive knowledge about this industry and genre. And it's, I mean, I read this quote. I don't want to move away from your point, James, but basically Sven, I think that's how you pronounce his name, like yeah. the CO, 
he um he had 400 people working on this one game but it seems as if they'll be working on different projects he'll be like spreading the teams to work on different projects and become like a multi-studio studio studio. Mm. and it makes you think like well will larian ever make a game like this again if they are now going to be splitting their team thinner to make more projects will larian ever make a game like this again and that brings me to the point of like well maybe this shouldn't then be the standard of games in the future because right go on I've got I've got an interesting point. I think Connor kind of spurred me on this path with the talk about Rockstar and Red Dead. And I think actually Baldur's Gate is similar in sense to God of War. You have an established franchise, mm. then then the God of War three, you know, the new the new God of War, the the sort of recreation of the game, the reboot, slightly the re- different, the reboot, the reboot. Yeah. exactly. You know, it to me that's a perfect game released. It was amazing. Mm rave reviews i think Baldur's gate is similar in the fact is that the game itself is amazing comes out but no no one's saying that oh sony can't do it again or and they put all the effort in it i think larian should be held to the same standard that sony had themselves at when they released Baldur's gate i think there's pressure to do it again and like say can larian do it again i think ragnarok is proof that studios can do it again you know but also you're building on intellectual property that's established. Baldur's mm. Gate as a franchise has many games. And as a in even outside of video games, in a DD context, Baldur's Gate is a setting that's been written since the 70s, 80s. So they mm. have so much material to work upon. Yeah. They they're not creating something truly new. Whereas I think you can't hold game developers who are starting fresh like starfield no one's done it before so you can't hold the same standard for a game that's new intellectual property to a game that has 40 years of content to build upon because it's a good point it's a completely different creative process to to make something new and it'd be perfect or to go okay well it's iterational there's been two premier borders gate games many not like you know, offsprings, whatever. We've made similar games. All mm. they really did was capture the essence of what their games were good at, mm. same as God of War, and yeah. then just give it a new polished front. Yeah. And mm. so I think that actually the, the standard they've set themselves is that, you know, we've built a new base level and we'll just, I guess, do a Ragnarok, do it, like, keep mm. going on this same formula that's working. Yeah. I, yeah. And I didn't think of that at all because I've, I've heard of Baldur's Gate I've never played the game. I've never looked at the game. And then obviously you see three at the end of the title. And then you see obviously God of War was like 2018. And then you think, I've heard that name before. So I do think if this was like Disco Elysium did it a few years ago and Disco Elysium's incredible, but it's a brand new IP and it's mm. not going to sell the numbers that Baldur's Gate's got because it's got that sort of thing behind it. I didn't think of it like that. So yeah. Yeah. I think well, I'm it's... one of the very sorry, James. I, I think I'm mm-hmm. one of the very few players that have played the original Baldur's Gate games, mm-hmm. and so like the gameplay itself, it you know like obviously talking twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it, I think it came out in 1998, the first one. But so like very like text based, but like an RPG, lots of choices. Like the experience of the gameplay has not really evolved that much. It's just the quality mm-hmm. of the of the yeah. product that is is yeah. you know. 2023 standard yeah and it's interesting because you know a lot of what you've just said there kieran 
is things that the the guy who I sort of quoted earlier uh, just a moment ago in the show he goes on in that thread to talk about a lot of the things that you've just mentioned so he talks about you know we mentioned it a minute ago that the momentum with with D in pop culture at the moment he talks about the specialized tech the experience that larian have got um the mass player feedback you know from from the early access period the <clears> independent <throat> studio um they don't answer to a publisher they've got a very good relationship with the the ip owners so i mean when you take all of that into consideration it, it does feel like a very unique scenario that larian find themselves in so then when you consider that and you talk about what we've just talked about and then you go back to that tweet back to what he said originally you, you kind of think to yourself well yeah i guess i, I understand it yeah. because you, you you're right you make a great point about starfield the first new ip from bethesda yes they've had experience in making these big budget um rpgs but starfield is the first entry in this supposedly new franchise for for bethesda can we hold that to the same standard as Baldur's gate 3 the, the developers of which had ha- have had decades of experience making this game and working on this franchise maybe we can maybe we can't mm. but you know i guess the the kind of point here or the thing i want really want to get into is it feels like a lot of AAA games now are in a state or in a position where they're designed by a committee rather than artistically driven um this there's been so many AAA games that have come out in recent years that have been just they've had catastrophic launches yeah. cyberpunk um, Battlefield 2042, mm. Anthem, for Spoken, Mass Effect, Andromeda, Redfall, like the list just it, it keeps growing. It, it feels every month, every year. Why can't they do what Larian have done? Why can't they it's, do what these other successful studios have done with big budget titles like a, Sony? Obviously, you mentioned God of War, great game. Why can't they do that? Is it because there's too much in, in, interference from publishers? It's a publishing issue. You look at Cyberpunk. That game released early because of uh, shareholders. They wanted yeah. their investment back. Um, but obviously CD Puddick Red Dirt, they're a big company now after The Witch 3 come out. Cyberpunk's doing really well again, which is good to see, and they've got IP coming up. But they're a smaller company. So if Cyberpunk, if it had completely flopped, that could have killed that studio. Like I know they've got The Witcher 3 and that it could have really damaged them. But you look at Sony, um, obviously they've been a bit quiet this generation, and but Sony put out games to everything's at least an eight like generally speaking they're very much quality control their production but you see activision release games that are duds ea are just getting worse by the year battlefield there's no love in battlefield anymore it's just like oh that's the date it's coming out i'll see you later ubisoft are the same but they're multi-billion dollar companies so they should be like hold off for six months we make sure the game's right but they don't Mm. care yeah, I think we're in part of like a new wave, like almost like peaks and troughs, for instance, where this whole, obviously gaming is a, a insanely large industry, generates more money than like the film and TV and mm. music industries literally combined. And I feel like the, the game developers and the publishers have really taken note of just how much money they can squeeze out of gaming. That's why we have tons of battle passes on battle passes, cosmetics that cost ridiculous prices and they've maybe started to capitalize on the how much money they can make and now they're realizing that the public aren't there for it anymore and they they're losing love and people are are obviously getting mad about it even and i feel like we're going to start seeing a now backwards downtrend if you like of going back hopefully 
to more traditional, strong story, zero or minimal, um, what's the word? in-game purchases hopefully yeah. back to how gaming used to be because obviously reputations are starting to get tarnished and um you've seen overwatch 2 get completely panned as soon as it yeah. came to steam because there's a review system in it now and everyone's like well fuck you blizzard we're sick of it yeah, yeah. And, and that's I, sorry God. um uh, i think james you made a uh, a point that i kind of want to go on um and it was about the by committee rather and i think that actually gaming the gaming space and like the, especially the major major players like ea is a good example and i think ubisoft as well is that they're not made by gamers anymore and i think that yeah. it's evident when you play the game that a gamer didn't design this um mm. and i think if we like the larian is a good example of this is that everyone at larian or you could for the most part you could tell they play D D. they know how they know what mm. kind of game they, they want to make and mm. i think that when you look at the people that are making like um activision i think they still play the shooters i think cod still plays pretty well but like battlefield for example like you can tell none of them have been playing battlefield like the gameplay is far off the same with assassin's creed like if yeah. you play assassin's creed games you know what you want from it and then the mm. products they release like i really tried to play valhalla and i really tried to give it its due and I, I put maybe 30 hours into it and i was just like no one played this when they yeah. made this game they said this is we're going to do viking no, assassin's creed but it, just it wasn't seems like a tech demo by. like odyssey yeah. and this is like this is what our tech can do and i think mm. ubisoft have finally got it where it's like actually no people don't want that they want yeah. a thir- 20 to 30 hour story refine it mm. and i think the same with like you bring up battlefield they've played cod too much and they start mm, battlefield should be COD. Make so the game something that, you, that it's not you don't know what your demographic is and we've seen it with rockstar i don't know if it's rockstar i don't know if it's take two but oh we're just going to pull red dead that was a hundred percent take two that decision. Yeah, Rockstar had nothing to do with that. They didn't want to do that. They didn't care. If it was up to them, they mm. probably would have just remade that entire game yeah. and just release mm. it on in the engine that they built Red Dead Two on and made it the game that it was supposed to be. But obviously, Take Two saw the opportunity for a cash grab yeah. and went for it. Yeah. And then you see it just before then because like we hold Rockstar to this standard that they've set themselves. They push boundaries. They they're incredible. And then Take-Two are obviously in charge and we see it with the GTA Remastered. Oh, we're going to give it to Rockstar Dundee. They're going to make a crappy pull. We're going to make a bit of money based on nostalgia. I can play San Andreas again. And mm. it it looks like a, a reskinned Switch game. It's, mm. it's terrible. Whereas you yeah. could have given it to... They could have given those games to a Bluepoint or a, a pull in them remastering studio and built that from the ground up and that game could have come out done absolute gangbusters but it was a quick cash yeah. grab yeah and, i mean and i feel I, like I, go on, ben. i was just gonna say I, I feel like this whole money grabbing time of gaming kind of has to come to an end soon players are tired and people are really yeah. i know we all we've said it amongst ourselves like vote with your wallet and i haven't bought mm. apart from Baldur's gate i haven't bought a game for a while now hence why i've been going back through games that i have previously bought and not played fully just because i don't I don't want to encourage any... I haven't bought a Battle Pass in forever now. I haven't bought any no. cosmetic items in so long. It's there's there was There's a new Street Fighter, or maybe it was Mortal Kombat, but there's one of these uh, fighting games coming out soon. There's four Ninja Turtle skins. Each individual skin is $20. 
Yeah. It's a joke. That's insanity. Mm. That's insanity. $20 for a skin is yeah. ridiculous. And that's That should be half the price or close to half the yeah. price of a full game. And yeah. So I is... want to see... Oh, so I was just going to finish and say, I, I just want to see gaming like what Baldur's Gate has done, going back to just making quality games with zero extra additional content, no DLC, no yeah. in-game purchases, nothing. Because they were the heydays before gaming became just this money-making scheme. Hmm. Hmm. You see, like, um, I, I linked it the other day on Discord, uh, that open world beta for Palia, I think the game's called. That, yeah. Like that Animal Crossing thing. That game's got microtransactions in it and they're like $30 costumes and stuff like that. That game's free to play. So that mm. makes sense. If that game's going to be free to play and it's like, oh, here's $30 I can quickly chuck to the developer so they yeah. can continue making support it. You. That makes yeah. sense. Like um, I bought Bal- uh, Baldur's Gate and there's a, I think it was £8.50, the like deluxe edition. It comes with some stupid hat and some like character sheets and a digital sound. I chucked in the 850 because I was like, right, I know you're making all the money in the world, but I appreciate what you've done in this game it's i don't do that it. i don't do that for anything i don't buy battle passes yeah. i don't buy skins on call of duty it's i don't do it um, i think so, sorry, they deserved it. no and i i think that some developers and i think that if you lean in some developers lean into that free-to-play model when i like say that the game mm. you, you think is coming up and for me i play i've you know i'm a massive war thunder player you know, mm. th- literally thousands of hours in that game. And so when they release a vehicle and it's £60, and it seems like so much money, it's like, yeah, but between the last purchase I made and the new purchase I made, I mm. put 500 hours into the game. Yeah. <laughs> so me buying the game again, essentially, for 60 quid, is totally worth it because of the yeah, investment. Yeah, yeah. Whereas so you, you play some of these games, they come out, you open the game, the first thing you see is the Battle Pass advertising. You haven't yeah, even played the, the game or yet. The store, yeah. the e-game yeah. store, whatever it is. Here's our in-game currency. Buy this. Get a skin. Exactly. So I haven't even fucking started yet. Yeah, yeah. it's not worth. Literally, just hit A on the fucking start menu. <laughs> yeah. So I'm that's why I think. Game. Yeah. yeah, Larry and I have have just sort of hit that nail on the head. Like on their website, there's a Q and A section, and it there's a question of um, is there any in-game purchases or downloadable content or anything like that? And mm. let me just find it real quick. But it basic. I hope it's not DLC. That game's big enough. If they they made like expansions, like I can understand that to continue the story or whatever they want to do, that's fine. Or add new story elements to the game. I'm completely on board with expansions, but like microtransactions and DLC, it's got to be the game has got to be like you said, like a free to play game. It kind of makes sense because the developers have taken all that time to make the game. They've made it free. Then they need something to keep them going to keep development going. It makes perfect sense. It's fine. Here they said, uh, so the question is, are there any in-game purchases? Their answer is no, there are no in-game purchases in our game. We believe in providing a complete and immersive gaming experience without the need for additional purchases. Enjoy the game to its fullest without any additional costs or microtransactions. And like you both said, or all three of you said, there are some games where in-game purchases are a great way of you supporting the developer, especially if that game is free to pay play mm. and especially if you maybe put the hours in even if you've bought mm. the game yeah and yeah. you then want to continue supporting it because you love that game and you love your character or whatever you're playing but it's i don't know i feel like i, I don't want to say what i've said again but i just mm-hmm. i want to see 
gaming going back to being gaming, quality games, games that you'll be like Red Dead Redemption. If you take out any of the multiplayer stuff, that is a legendary game. Start to finish, you buy that game for the set price, you'll have a 10 out of 10 experience and you can never spend another penny on that game. That's the yeah. definition of a quality game. Mm. Um, it's just, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just feel and like... On that same topic of Red Dead, I've played a lot of the Red Dead Online, the Red Dead 2 Online, mm. and every battle pass that you could get in the game, you could earn the currency in-game to buy the premium okay. version of the battle pass and so like that's a great way of doing that if you want to do a battle pass in your game then you make a little bit of extra cash if people want to buy it give the players that maybe don't have the means they paid 60 quid for the full game like they can't maybe can't justify another 15 pounds give them an option apex does the same you can earn obviously mm. currency in the game and then if say you buy one battle pass if you complete that battle pass you'll have enough for the next season's battle pass and mm. I think it rewards exactly. you for playing. It's like, oh yeah, you can have the battle pass for free next yeah. month because yeah. you've put in a hundred levels. There has to be a balance. Like there has to be these AAA games that come out. They're massive. If yeah. AA games and indie games have go to the free to play model, or there's in game skins and stuff like that. Like if I could have bought, I know like something extra for Hades, I would have because I enjoyed that game and mm. I don't mind so throwing a couple of quid like into it but when it's call of duty and fifa like you go in there ultimate team coins mm. battle pass. The, the, the worst thing about about call of duty particularly uh, in particular is that like you can you can spend x amount on whatever the battle pass is but after the season's finished like if you can't unlock all of that content then then what mm. yeah the, the thing about like uh halo does this really well where you can yeah. go back to previous seasons and reactivate those battle passes and continue to unlock the items in those battle passes so the money you've spent up to that point is not wasted as you move through the seasons and sort of content gets vaulted I mean we spoke about the Destiny 2 content vault like a few episodes oh, ago yeah. like yeah. that's that's just that's bullshit that is yeah. such bollocks that is I've paid like, it's for bad enough. that's no longer available exactly it's bad enough locking stuff behind a paywall to begin with but then mm. like after you've bought it and then deciding to put it back behind a fucking vault or back into a vault later on it's bollocks yeah. so Maybe back to your original question, James, which I okay. think was along the lines of, obviously, Baldur's Gate have maybe set a new standard and mm. should other game developers see that as a new standard or is all this controversy not really controversy? And, you know what I mean? Will Should games try and hit the same standards as Baldur's Gate or is that just not achievable? Yeah. So I... I, I, I I think that there is absolutely nothing wrong with gamers saying we want this to be better. We don't want to be ripped off by microtransactions and overpriced sort of additional paid for content. We want a fully complete experience for the game. And if I want to buy additional content that complements an already fantastic core experience, then I have the ability to do so if that's what I wish to do in the future. But, you know, skimping out on stuff to purposely yeah. put it behind a paywall or to lock it into seasons or whatever. I think I think there, there are ways, like we've just described a few games that do, you know, microtransactions and paid content really well and to a point where we don't think we're getting conned because there are other ways in which we can enjoy content in that game without having to pay for it. But 
I do think that in terms of Baldur's Gate and, you know, I, I don't think that they should be kind of like praised for not having microtransactions in the game. I think that should just be the fucking norm, to be honest. I think they've <clears> done something that we all expect them to do, that every mm. gamer expects from a big game release. You don't expect to be sort of, like, what was uh, Diablo come out recently? Like, they, they, they are fucking shoving a story in your face every time you... Yeah. Yeah. Did you oh, hear shit. about their... I can't remember what the term it is. It was a really cool term. It's like dark design. Right. So apparently in the new update in season one, they yeah. had repositioned the purchase button to be in a, 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 I can't remember where they positioned it, but they basically positioned it in a very high hot spot for like mouse clicks, for instance. And it was a an instant purchase, non-refundable. So oh, they no. were like, uh, I don't know. The controversy around that is they like literally dark designed this purchase button to be mm. in a very clickable spot and you'd mm. insta buy it no refund and then they magically so, so like where the where the where the close button is in the corner to get out of that screen it's actually the purchase button yeah yeah literally Everyone's like fucking buying skins and accidentally. This, is, this is the issue obviously they're connected to activision and we've brought up destiny call of duty Diablo, mm. it's all Activision. You're not telling me someone who's designed Diablo, and I've played Diablo 4, I really enjoyed what I played at Diablo 4. Yeah. And that game come out, was a massive success, shut down servers. It seemed like the whole world was on that game. Similar to what Baldur's Gate 3 is like that at the moment. But they've released a patch, and you reset everything, and now every time you go on there, it's just like, I'll buy something. So I've just given yeah. you 60 quid. Mm. And... Mm. You that, still want more from me. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... And I'm playing the game... Obviously, if I played Diablo for two, three hundred hours, I might be more inclined to buy a skin mm. or two. But just don't shove it down my throat. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, but I think I mean, that there's a... Sorry, sorry. No, go on, I go think on. with Diablo and Baldur's Gate, there's a, another comparison there, which is that Diablo's content is not... There's not that much content in that game. For how massive that development was and how massive the step up was supposed to be from Diablo three to Diablo four. Yeah. Like I very comfortably got to a point in that game where there wasn't really much more for me to do apart from min maxing. Whereas mm. I feel like Larian released a game where they're like, go have fun. You can spend 500 hours in this experience before you ever even have to consider starting again. Or like if yeah. you've finished the content. And I think that, they're totally different ends of the spectrum in terms of like still both massive studios both massive rpg projects but mm. the level of content in diablo was mm. finishable yeah. in a week truly like a mm. week you could have yeah, been yeah, yeah. rinse your hands at the game you're done yeah. and that's kind of like where i think about where the comparisons are being drawn between Baldur's gate and other games especially other rpgs is that level of content in, yeah. Like you said, in Baldur's Gate, you've potentially got up to like 500 hours of content before you even even consider maybe starting again or min-maxing your character or whatever. Mm. And that's a £60 game, and that seems like an amazing deal almost. Yeah. Whereas then you'll buy, what was it, Redfall for 60 quid, And like, you, you expect me to believe that the same amount of detail, uh, you know what I mean, expertise and the time and attention and passion and everything went into that project for the same yeah. price and yeah like, i i carry on james no go on Connor. um like you pay 60 quid for Baldur's gate or 50 quid or whatever it is i could be potentially playing that game every year for the rest of my life mm. like it might get mm. to the summer and it's a dead spot and go do you know what i'm gonna go and do a barbarian playthrough 
and yeah. the dice rolls are going to be different. I might have different party members. You'll encounter different NPCs that you haven't spoken to before, different scenarios. Mm. Yeah, and they're not like if like you talk about War Thunder, Kieran. Like obviously you've got an incredible playtime in that you could potentially play in that game forever. So you don't mind mm. throwing money at. But Larian are like, no, you've paid for the game. Like, mm. yeah, we're done. See you later. But then even if you consider smaller, more isolated stories, like the new Assassin's Creed's obviously on mm. the way out soon. Like we're not expecting 500 hours worth of no. content from a game like that. But if we're still going to be paying 50, 60 quid for that game, we're expecting perfect day one performance, absolute polish. You can see your face off your screen kind of polish. <laughs> it, yeah. would, it, it needs to be an impeccable story, amazing writing, flawless mechanics, bring something yeah. new, raise the bar. And that's mm. what you're paying for. Mm. Speaking of Assassin's Creed, like that's uh, Sven Vink talked about Assassin's Creed when uh, he got he commented on this situation, and he said the problem I have with the use of standards. This is video games. Standards just die every day. Things get reinvented. Jesus. New things appear all the time. When I was starting out in the industry, Assassin's Creed set a new standard. Yeah, it was over. No one could make games like Assassin's Creed. There was too much budget behind it. And that's going to be the future. Everyone has to consolidate. Blah blah blah. Um, yeah, didn't he say that every game, every game dev was going to be trying to make Assassin's yeah, Creed? But you see it yeah. now. Um, how many yeah. games do you load up now? And do you know you've got the Destiny reticule going across the screen, and they've copied Destiny's mm. UI. Happens. Mm. Everything's yeah. cyclical. Um, yeah. Well, but I, I mean, don't like... see studios copying this because they can't. Yeah. Well, you can you can probably assume that like I I I bet there are a ton of game developers out there who are playing Baldur's Gate three right now, mm. and they're probably thinking about like what could we learn from this and implement in our next project maybe because yeah. But mm. to go, to go back to the question, you know, like I don't think it's wrong at all for gamers to demand more from from developers and particularly the publishers. Um, I feel like Baldur's Gate, obviously, it clearly raises the bar, but it raises it in a way that hopefully inspires other game makers to yeah maybe not like make a game that's of that scale because i mean let's be honest the game is ridiculously mm. sort of large and expansive and, and detailed throughout but to like from an artistic st sort of standpoint try and raise their own game so that they can make something that they're proud of something that they're passionate about and something that we can then see that the love and the passion and the time has gone into it like when we play Baldur's gate you can clearly see that there is passion behind that project not like yeah. we said games designed by committee games that are just designed by publishers and you know they have all these different sort of aspects to them microtransactions whatever it is poured into the game tight release schedules developer crunch um yeah we don't want to see that we we want to celebrate these games as they come out and we want them to raise the standards and break boundaries and be great and and, and incredible and yeah and hopefully hopefully Baldur's Gate just like I mean I, I guess the last game I can think of that kind of did that would maybe would have been Red Dead Redemption 2 yeah but we want that in in the industry because we want everyone to raise their standards because we That's get it. better games and, and and I I do kind of understand where some of the game devs are coming from when they say not to expect this kind of standard all the time because obviously yeah. Larian have produced something magical but I I I get that that it's difficult to make something like we've, you called it a unicorn, Connor. That's the perfect word for it. it, it or maybe it was you, James. It was James. But regardless, it's an amazing project. And I understand if I was a game developer, even if I was a really good game developer who, who loved my project, I might just not have the resources 
to make a game like that. Like you mm. said, Kieran, I might not have a plethora of material to work from and I may not have made games using a very similar sort of style, engine, genre. And so I understand why some of them might be saying not to expect this and um, obviously to sort of rein in your expectations for the future. But as a yeah. player, I'm expecting that from the future. Like you said, James, I'm expecting developers to take note, to to marvel in what Baldur's Gate or Larian have done well and try and apply some qualities into their own projects in the future. I think yeah. there's going to be the people, this, this game's going to inspire a lot of people. I think indie developers mm. and double uh, A studios will be looking at this game. Not necessarily, we haven't, they haven't got the produ- production value and the money to it, but you see games come out all the time. Like Vampire Survivors was made by one dude and that game mm. won a BAFTA and that game's come out and you see like, you see the industry copy that game and there's better looking versions of that game that just get chucked up on Steam all the time. So there are going to be people that are inspired by this game. Mm. But it's not necessarily the story and the production value of this game that should be the stat. It's It comes out, it works, yep. it's fucking released and they're not Basics. sitting there sitting out there with a, a cap out going, pay me more. <laughs> it, it's just like, this is the game, it's finished with your help. And if, like, um, Hades and I think Darkest Dungeon 2 as well, two games that have come out, they had early access for, like, a year. And this mm. is 0.1 all the way up until 1.0. I think some of these games coming out, like um, Destiny, uh, Bungie's new shooter, if they had, like, a six-month beta where it's just, like, behind closed doors, playtesting it, playtesting it, playtesting it, so they can get feedback from the gamers, that game's going to be infinitely better. I think AAA developers need to open up these games more and not just the shooters. I know I've just mentioned the shooter. Do you remember, I think it was Warzone 1, and it was just complete radio silence from, uh, I think it was Infinity Ward, it would have been Infinity Ward that developed Modern Warfare 2019, and then I think Raven Software, who were overseeing development on Warzone at the time, but complete mm. radio silence. I mean, the thing I've, I really, one of the things I really sort of like about Larian is how they've communicated with with the players and the fans. Like mm. that, that goes a long way. And I don't think yeah. that publishers in these big studios, I don't think they realise how far that goes. Yeah. And like the, the title of this whole episode is: Do publishers actually know what gamers want? And everything mm. we've talked about tonight. It just seems like they don't know what we want. They don't know what we want from a game. And to be fair, like if we lay it out, it's not a lot. Like we just want a game that's finished, playable. It's had some passion put behind it, and And it's just a it's a it's a finite experience that's packed full of good content. That's it. And be transparent. Mm. Like um, we played. Obviously, we we haven't played it in a while. But Valheim, we played tons of. Yeah, great. They they they're constantly posting. By the way, this is coming in within the next three to six months. Uh, we're working on this. We know yeah. there's an issue with this. We're currently working on it. It might this take a little bit of time. This is in the test version now. If you want to try it on the test, yeah. Mm. And like, if even if it's Call of Duty, it's a massive studio. But if it comes out and it, a guns overpowered, even if they put out a blog post saying, "By the way, we know these guns overpowered. We're working on it. Yeah. Be patient with us." I'll be like, "Okay, no problem." But it's the radio silent. It's like oh, mm. whatever. Mm. We're patching. We patch it. I think if the standard that we're asking for is that it works, it's fun, but you're not charging me to play the game and like 
there's content that I can enjoy. Like we're not asking for too much. Like the standard is yeah. actually the bar is very low for what we're yeah. demanding. Mm. And I think that yeah. if they can't capture that, then they're missing the whole point of what gaming is for the gamers. So they get like gaming for the gamers is that moment of like coming home, lo- logging into your favorite game and having that satisfaction that you, you have access to all the content that you want to have access to that it works and that it's fun and like engaging. And I think so many developers, one of those is a stumbling block and I think for Cyberpunk was a really good example because I never had any of the performance issues when it first released. And so I had an amazing experience because mm. the game itself was fantastic, but they just didn't nail the performance. 90% of the people yeah. who played that game had some sort of issue. And so one of those stumbling blocks can ruin the release of a game. And I think if there's one lesson to learn from Baldur's Gate is that nail the fucking release. If you yeah. nail the release, then a if, lot of misgivings if, of the game... like. If we, we haven't really talked about the gameplay of Baldur's Gate, but there are some misgivings in the gameplay mm. from a mm. like strictly like inside the game perspective. But the release was perfect; they nailed the early access. It's not too much to ask for to do that in reality. And even if you don't nail the release, like No Man's Sky is celebrating seven years. When that game came out, I thought that game was dead in the water. Like it came out, mm. the the company went radio silent, and it was like all oh, this this isn't a good look. And they've come yeah. out, they've been transparent. They've said, look, we're working on this. This will be coming at some point. And that game's got a massive community now. And it's all because Hello Games come out and they're transparent. They're like, right, we're mm. working on this. You don't have to pay for this content, a lot of it. Um, I don't mean know if they do DLC too much, but it's just like, right, this is coming. Uh, we're doing this. Sorry about that. And you look at yeah. look at, look at the Metacritic for the year. Dave the Diver's sitting there higher than most of these AAA games. Mm. Dredge is sitting there higher than most of these AAA games. Dredge is so good. Yeah, and it is. Um, it's a great game. And there's a game that's just come out, which is like by a tarot card reading witch that's getting incredible reviews. Oh, I've <laughs> completely spaced on the name. They're not incredible worlds. Like Dave the Diver is very repetitive and similar, but it works and it's yeah. got that hook. I'm yeah. not looking for everything to look like. Baldur's Gate Three, just a, a game that works and comes out how the, it's the standards are actually to. pretty low. Like like you yeah, say, yeah. the standards pretty are actually much. quite low and pretty reasonable when when you talk about it like that. So I've got a question then, which All is right, kind then. of like moving onwards. Okay. So obviously, Baldur's Gate came out, great release, kind of hitting expectations and beating them. Obviously, we have Starfield due out soon, even mm. sooner when this episode comes out. Mm. Obviously this game has been delayed and expectations are through the roof. Bethesda have had a rocky past. How are we feeling about Starfield? And obviously now that Baldur's Gate has set a very recent and a very high bar, how confident are we that Starfield can do the same? Um, I, I don't think Xbox would have been as, Oh, I say that Xbox fucking shit their pants all the time, <laughs> but um, they've put everything onto Starfield. And yeah. I think, Bethesda, um, this review code come out a lot earlier than Red Falls did and previous Fallout games and stuff like that. Usually they don't get the review code till like day off. So Bethesda are confident. I think Xbox are confident, but I think they do misplace their confidence at times. All I want from Starfield is like, I know Bethesda has issues. They've got a new engine and usually it takes six to eight months before the modders get in and make the game whole, if you will. 
but all the game's got to do is come out and if it's not it's going to be buggy it's a big game like every game that size is going to be buggy and like they've never made a game this big if it comes out and it runs smoothly and I don't get people T-posing they're fine because the yeah. game's going to have so much content in it and it's yeah. not much to ask just yeah. Yeah. don't fall through the world I don't mm. want to see NPCs T-posing or their teeth falling out of their mouth crashing like, and yeah that's it yeah, I mean, my, my my personally, my expectations of of Starfield have not changed because of Baldur's Gate. I think Baldur's Gate has set a, a standard, and that's that's fine. I think we can all accept that, and like we said, we can all demand higher standards from all the games that come out. But you know, I, I'm I'm excited for Starfield. And I'm really looking forward to it, but I I still have that skepticism, you know, yeah. because I think we've been burned so many times by AAA games in recent years that there's always going to be that sort of like until until we get like consecutive AAA releases that are just nailed one after another yeah. and we can get over the past sort of like two two or three years of shit releases that we've had yeah maybe that feeling will go away but it's just unfortunate that's that's the way I feel and probably many other gamers feel about AAA game releases in 2023 is that you just don't know what you're going to get on day one but I completely yeah. kind of echo your sentiments Connor if all I want from the game is it for it to come out and to be like non to be game breaking bug free i just want to be able to play it on day one yeah. and it to run the way that it's meant to run i'm not really expecting you know to to have some like life-changing experience from playing the game i just want it to be playable and then i'm sure like because it's because it's a bethesda game because it's a big bethesda rpg the enjoyment will eventually come when i get my teeth into the game and start playing the way yeah. i want to play it that's what you get from bethesda rpg i yeah. think for me, I, I'm part of rare company where I actually have quite kind of mitigated expectations for Starfield simply because of, and not to compare them to Baldur's Gate because I don't. I think I, I agree. Like we, the standard we, we've set is is pretty basic. Make sure the game works. Make sure it, you it's know, very low content. Yeah, <laughs> but I still have hang-ups from Fallout 4 and Fallout 76. I feel the same I think way. Fallout 76 is release, especially the release, because I think the game, actually, I've played it like a year and two years after release and gone mm. back to it. There, there's, it's fun. There, there's gameplay loop there that's fulfilling. and You can enjoy it. But the way they promised the multiplayer experience, I know Starfield doesn't have multiplayer, but the, the experience promised and the experience delivered with Fallout 76 was so far off. Mm, that yeah. I will never trust Bethesda to launch a game well ever again. Fallout 76 was the worst game I've ever played on release. With by no, mm. there's not even a close second place to that. Mm. It was there was no NPCs. There was only mm, enemies no. in the whole game. It was it wasn't Sounds a game. Sounds a bit like was, Redfall to me. It, I mean, Redfall. I didn't even play <laughs> Redfall because I don't trust Bethesda in that sense. But I'm really excited because i think like I said new engine you know there's this is a whole new experience going on for bethesda and for the fans and so i think it will be a good game i think they've invested enough in it but mm. i think realistically with bethesda if you're not managing your expectations you're going to get burnt yeah there's only one thing that i've seen recently that has kind of made my um faith in it increase slightly because i very much feel like we're kind of all on the same page in regards to mm. expectations but i was quite interested to see that they tweeted or one of the developers tweeted that fallout 4 released on a version one so when the game came out to the public it was very much just on a version 1.0 mm. but apparently starfield's releasing on like a version 1.6 and okay. so it's 
for me, it's like they've hit version one, which would have been technically ready mm. for release, but they've obviously then continued to work on it. So a part of me is thinking like, come on, Bethesda. I've got, this has got to be the one. This is, I've got two points for this. That is rather Todd Howard fucking propaganda. Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, who knows if it's true? It just works, guys. One point, it just works. It just works. Yeah. Yeah. Or... If 1.6 comes out and it's dog shit, how bad oh, was 1.0? How bad was 1.0? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've been burnt by Bethesda. I've got uh, people call him God Howard. He's a fucking fraud most of the time. Fallout 4 was awful when it came out. And 76, like you said, Kieran, it's like, I didn't play it on release, but we played it after. And it's, there's a, like you said, there's a loop there, but what they promised and what they delivered. Um, but I'm quietly confident about Starfield. I don't mm. know why, because I've been burnt by yeah. Bethesda. Opium. I've been, I've been. Do you think it's more Bethesda. in hope than expectation? Because I, I can't put my finger on why I'm more hopeful for Starfield than I am other AAA and previous Bethesda releases. Mm. I don't know what it is. I think it's the type of I... game that is like the genre, the sci-fi that made for me mm. personally. It's, it's just speaking to me. I'm not sure yeah. if anyone else feels that way, but I, I don't know what it is about it. For me, my the... hope is coming from the slew of bad releases that we've had. That it, that should be terrifying to a developer. Now you mm. don't want to join that gang. That is a bad party <laughs> to be a part of. But <laughs> if it, so... the problem is, even if this game is bad, it's going to make its money back. Yes. Well, we've all pre-ordered yeah. it, haven't we? Yeah. So... <laughs> and I'm going to. If it's dog shit, it's getting refunded straight away, and I'll go and play on Game Pass. I don't care. True. Um, it's true. But. Um, you got two hours to impress me, but yeah. yeah, refund. <laughs> if there's, yeah, that's all in character creation. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, yeah, probably. I, I, I'm quietly confident, and I think it's mainly because obviously the press that comes out. But I do think they're a propaganda machine. But I think Xbox are putting all their chips on this game, mm, and Xbox yeah. they've been in such a bad way with it. They're turning it around. I'm excited about the future of Xbox, and I think it's finally taken them a decade to produce some sperm, but they're doing it, and then. Um, but Xbox of like, they seem really confident, and it yeah. like even like when Redfall mm. come out, like the trailers were all different. Like me, me and you spoke about this, Ben uh, and James as well when we did our Redfall thing. We watched like four trailers, and they're all different in tone. Yeah, mm. everything seems to be moving in one direction with this. Everything's aligned. Yeah. Pete, yeah. Pete Hines is fucking clapping back at people on Twitter. If the game was shit, <laughs> there'd be radio silence. They wouldn't yeah. like. Yeah. So I, I think you're right there. I don't believe it runs on the Xbox Series S. So fuck you, Todd Howard and uh, Phil Spencer, because <laughs> they keep going on oh, playing on my S. It's like Baldur's Gate Three isn't coming to Xbox because it can't run on the S. So I don't believe that for a second. But um, mm. I don't know. It just seems like they've got their shit together. So. Well, you know, you've nailed it there. Go on, Ben. I was going to say, I think you nailed it with if they weren't confident, they wouldn't be mouthy. And no. yeah. yeah, I think because uh, with Redfall in particular, the writing was on the wall, wasn't it? Like we we didn't hear anything about that. Game. No, the review codes didn't come out until they like, knew it was trash. The, the, the day embargo. after the embargo, the review codes have gone out two weeks before the game's coming out. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I'm yeah, hopeful. We will see. I'm, I'm hopeful as well. Well, I mean, like if 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 Starfield comes out and it's a massive hit, then that's you know I think we can probably look back and say it's actually shaped shaped up to be a decent year for games. There's been some some, yeah. some really interesting titles coming out this year. Some, some still really got Spider-Man well. Two, still uh, Assassin's Spider-Man 2, Creed, Alan Wake Two. 
So oh, yeah. I think That's be a good and one. the like the indie base and the double A games have been incredible this year as well. So yeah. Well, I guess you know we can sort of wrap up by just congratulating Larian on just yeah. a fantastic achievement with Baldur's Gate. Really, really good game. Yeah. And shout out to Wizards of the Coast for finally letting someone make a D&D game that's good. <laughs> finally. Big up, whoever that is. <laughs> All right, well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Good chat as always, boys. Thank you for that. Kieran, thank you for joining us this week. Really yeah, love having you, you on. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we did. And a quick reminder, you can see more if you click on the link in the description. Don't forget to leave us a rating, please. We really appreciate it. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Peace.